Well, it's happening again. Now the Philippines is considering taxing nickel ore exports. And you know why? And again, you always have to go to the government official to actually figure out what's going on. And this is a report from Bloomberg News via mining.com. And we have a quote from the Philippines Environment and Natural Resources Secretary, Antonia Yulo Loizaga, who said, quote, and they're very public about it. We want to move out from being just a part of the supply chain. We want to be a part of the value chain, end quote. And the article continues, without facilities to process mineral ore, quote, we will just be a vendor country. And we don't want to be a vendor country, end quote, said Loizaga, who's also in charge of the mining sector. So we're back to this theme of the global south no longer willing to put up with simply selling off their raw materials without the processing plants being built locally. So hello and welcome everyone to the Northern Miner podcast where I continue to follow this fascinating story. And again, like maybe I'm just not on the right news pages, but I kind of say to myself, why is this not like front page news? And maybe it's just not in the interest of the West to report these stories, because the more this story gets out, the more countries are going to want to, you know, do the same thing. And it sounds like it's working out for Indonesia. Now, the flip side of this, and we have a very, I think I, I put together a pretty interesting what I'm calling a copper and gold special for everyone today, where we have the beginning of the Freeport McMoran conference called by Richard Adkerson. And I mean, he was saying how in Indonesia, they're paying six cents a pound of copper. Like, help me out if you hear something different, but that's what I heard. So if they're paying six cents a pound, and then if they don't want to process locally, no wonder these countries are, you know, getting fed up. So I assume that Freeport does process locally because they don't seem to be having any problems, but they're in the copper business, not in the nickel business. So who knows? And also we have Mark Brissot at the Future Minerals Forum, where he is interviewed by the Northern Miners, Colin McClelland, and it's only about six or seven minutes, both of these interviews each. So I thought I'd put them together and make a show out of it, and a bit of a copper and gold show. So lots to look forward to there. I mean, it's almost like an exercise in compare and contrast. And one of the big comparisons or similarities we might find between the Freeport and Barrick CEOs is their emphasis on a long-term vision, that these are long-term investments. And Mark Bristow even called out in that interview, you know, short-termism. And also you hear, you know, Richard Adkerson, again, emphasize the long term. So very interesting. I mean, I think both of these guys are looking at the fundamentals of copper, just as Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs. Everybody's bullish on copper on the long term. And it's actually doing quite well here. I mean, let's just take a quick look here. So copper is at $4.17. I mean, gold is at $1,922.70. So I would say not bad at all. Looking at bonds for context here, 3.514%. So that is about even with last week when we checked. So that is interesting in and of itself. West Texas Intermediate Oil 
is at $77.52 and Brent crude is at $84.19. So it seems like as far as the markets are concerned, everything seems to be hinging on this Wednesday FOMC, you know, Federal Reserve meeting as usual, right? Again, what I call, you know, the ongoing infantilization of free countries and free peoples where we wait for a committee to really give us the marching orders on what to do with our investments. I mean, it's kind of sad from my perspective, but that is just one person's opinion. And I'm sure there are many arguments for the opposite point of view and that these are all good things. So a fascinating show for you lined up here. Again, this theme that we continue to follow here of refining or locally continues. It's been going on for eight weeks. We've been seeing stories about it and I continue to. And I can only assume that this will continue and grow. So turning to the Northern Miner, we have a global mining symposium coming up on February 22nd and 23rd. Just go to events.northernminer.com to register your interest. And speakers include Luca Giacovazzi, CEO of Wailu Metals. So that should be super interesting. Of course, they were in the big battle with BHP there over the Ring of Fire assets, the acquisition of Noront Resources in the Ring of Fire. And that went on all year last year. So so we get a exclusive appearance from Luco Jacovazzi, CEO of Wailu Metals, in the next Global Mining Symposium, which you can watch from your computer and even send questions, which is pretty cool. And of course, Chris Kennedy, Director of Water at Tech Resources, which, as I stated last week is one of the understated but high impact from an environmental context aspects of mining water so i think this is a great lineup we have here chris kennedy and luca jacovazzi and many more so this is coming up in three weeks you can sign up today at events.northernminer.com if you want to find us online you can find us at northernminer.com and you can find us on twitter at Northern Miner and on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, I thought we could take the Reuters version of the Philippines story. They just put one out yesterday, so on the same day, and let's also see what they say. So Philippines proposed tax on nickel ore exports could kill industry. Group head. So you can see the headline here is kind of a, you know, this is a bad idea, Philippines, according to Reuters. The head of Philippine nickel mining industry warned on Tuesday that the government's plan to impose an up to 10% tax on nickel ore exports could force local producers to close up shop. And you have to wonder if this 10% tax is on non-refined nickel. And we have a quote from Dante Bravo, president of the Philippine Nickel Industry Association, who told Reuters, quote, the initial proposal in the House of Representatives was 10% that will kill the industry. We need to be heard so the government will understand our side. And he is also the president of minor global ferro-nickel holdings. So I don't know if we could say he's totally, uh, you know, independent, here, if he's also the president of Global Ferro-Nickel Holdings, the Philippines is looking at taxing nickel ore exports to encourage 
miners in the world's second biggest supplier of the material, which is used in making stainless steel and batteries for electric vehicles, to invest in local processing instead of just selling raw ore. And then they reference a Bloomberg article. Bloomberg News on Monday quoted Environmental and Natural Resource Secretary Antonia Yula Loizaga, whose department also oversees the mining sector, as saying, quote, there's a range of actions, including a progressive look at taxing exports of raw nickel. The idea is to follow in the footsteps of Indonesia, where a ban on nickel ore exports has attracted massive investment into processing plants. Indonesia wants to replicate the policy of other metals, including tin. So, I mean, who can blame them is sort of my take on this. Like, who doesn't want to participate? And frankly, you know, Canada has sent its oil and a lot of its metals for processing elsewhere, as far as I understand. I mean, why isn't that being done in Canada? Why aren't there more oil refineries in Canada? I don't understand. But again, I may just be uninformed, and I probably am, Like I, I, but I have to wonder out loud to myself. But Bravo said a comparison to Indonesia is flawed because it has more reserves to support investments in local mineral processing. So Bravo is the head of the Philippine Nickel Industry Association. So he is not a fan. The Philippines has 34 operating nickel mines and exports most of its nickel ore to China and some to Japan. But it has only two nickel processing plants, which are both partly owned by the Philippines' biggest ore producer, Nickel Asia Corporation. Nickel Asia is partly owned by Sumitomo Metal Mining Company. So very interesting development here. Continuing on, another Reuters story, EU urges European banks to step up funding for critical minerals. Again, Reuters via mining.com, European Commissioner Terry Breton urged European financiers this week to provide more funding to suppliers of minerals needed for the energy transition as the European Union prepares its Green Deal industrial plan. It's kind of weird to hear government encouraging financiers. Like, I think the way to encourage financiers is to give the appropriate tax breaks. But let's take a closer look. Like, you'd think there'd be a financial incentive, but maybe there is. The EU is due to unveil its Critical Raw Materials Act on March 8th to secure the bloc's supply of critical raw materials, including lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese, and graphite needed for electric vehicles. Breton highlighted two major issues. The first is over-reliance on countries such as major producer China for materials such as magnesium used in electronics, cars, and machinery. The second is the expected colossal increase in demand. EU dependency on metal imports and security of supply has been reinforced by energy-intensive industries looking to shift production out of the bloc due to soaring power costs after Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia has historically been a major supplier of aluminum, nickel, copper, cobalt, and palladium to Europe. And we have a quote from Breton who told a roundtable of European banks, including Societe Generale, Deutsche Bank, and Santander Group, among others, and he told them, quote, I want you to invest in operations in the critical raw materials value chain. What is, what, is he the king of Europe? What is, he's the commissioner. I mean, he's acting like a king. I want you to invest in this. Is there any, you know, let's just continue reading here. And the quote continues, sometimes you face challenges here in Europe because of local opposition, long procedures, or lack of an economic case, or in the rest of the world where you may be accused of supporting projects with low environmental and social standards. 
the head of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. So he's the commissioner and she's the head. Okay. So the head of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, said last week the EU was making available a European sovereignty fund to keep firms from moving to the United States. Well, you can't blame them there. And then Breton continues. And like this isn't a direct quote, but they say that Breton said the EU has hopes of folding Ukraine as well as other countries into its battery sector build out. It seems a little premature to be making plans like, is this a resource war? When you look at that, can you afford to, you know, maybe Ukraine, Obama came out and said Ukraine was not a, of a strategic interest, but maybe in a world of resource scarcity, maybe Ukraine does have strategic interest. And final quote here, of course, we can't only invest in Europe. That is why we have established strategic partnerships on critical raw materials with Canada, Ukraine, Namibia, and Kazakhstan, and advancing in discussions with other countries. Interesting. Norway finds substantial mineral resources on its seabed. This is also Reuters. And just a paragraph or two here, a Norwegian study has found a substantial amount of metals and minerals ranging from copper to rare earth metals on the seabed of its extended continental shelf, authorities said on Friday in their first official estimates. The Nordic country, a major oil and gas exporter, is considering whether to open its offshore areas to deep sea mining, a process that requires Parliament's approval and has sparked environmental concerns. And we have a quote from Norwegian Petroleum Directorate, which conducted the study, who says, quote, of the metals found on the seabed in the study area, magnesium, which you're hearing more and more about, Freeport mentioned it in their earnings call. It was later in the earnings call, which we don't have that part, but magnesium went something from $18 to $30 from early December to now, is what the CFO of Freeport was saying. So it includes magnesium, niobium, cobalt, and rare earth minerals, and they are found on the European Commission's list of critical minerals. So magnesium. And didn't we just hear about magnesium in this other story that they don't want to rely on? Yeah. The first, and here Breton is saying in the previous story, the over-reliance on countries such as major producer China for materials such as magnesium used in electronics, cars, and machinery. So this magnesium issue, uh, nothing like price to get people's attention. Continuing on, Indonesia sees record coal exports of more than 500 million tons in 2023. It's according to Reuters via mining.com. So just a headline there. And continuing on, South Africa's blackout threatens platinum supply in top miner. This is Bloomberg News via mining.com. And it says here, South Africa's worst ever power blackouts are threatening platinum and palladium supplies in the top miner, both now and in the years ahead. Outages last year curbed output of the metals and the power crisis that's crimping the economy has worsened in recent months. The nation's platinum group metals production will likely fall this year, according to Impala Platinum Holdings. The electricity crunch, I've barely heard of this electricity crunch in South Africa, is hurting South African industry and agriculture, and blackouts are expected for at least two more years, threatening output in Africa's most industrialized economy. It's yet another headache for major mining companies such as Anglo-American Platinum, Sibanye Stillwater and Impala, who have found it increasingly hard to run deep and aging shafts. And we have a quote from Impala spokesman Johan Theron, who said in an interview, If things don't get better soon, then we are likely to have a worse period this year than last. If it gets worse, it will get to a point when you have a certain days where we will stop sending people underground. So 
it's all pointing in one direction here, isn't it? Towards scarcity, not abundance. And continuing on, Biden to block Pebble Project in Alaska. So the saga continues, Northern Dynasty. Uh, it's Bloomberg News via mining.com. The Biden administration is set to ban the dumping of mining waste near Bristol Bay, Alaska, by issuing a decree that thwarts longstanding plans to extract gold, copper, and molybdenum because of potential harm to the region's thriving sockeye salmon industry. Scrolling down a bit, the pending ban dovetails with a pledge President Joe Biden made while campaigning when he said Bristol Bay, quote, is no place for a mine. So the saga continues. I highly doubt that's over and done with. Turning to the northern miner, timing is right for Northwest Territories to harness critical minerals boom, says Ministers by Henry Lazenby. Canada's Northwest Territories is positioned to capitalize on the coming critical mineral supply crunch, says the Territories Industry, Tourism and Investment Minister Caroline Wauzenek. The territory, perhaps best known for its initial gold rush in the 1800s, is once again welcoming mineral explorers and miners. Quote, we're welcoming everybody to the table. A lot of what is at the advanced stages now are projects explored and staked 20, 30, 40, and even 50 years ago. I was just talking with some folks doing some lithium work now, and they're on a claim that was staked 30 years ago. And she continues, it's only now that the markets, the demand, and the technology are such that they can actually go and explore it. So what I think is great for us is that timing is coming together. And scrolling down a bit, there is now more attention being paid to critical minerals and metals and a lot more innovation for exploration and new technology available for extraction. Quote, for example, artificial intelligence is being utilized now on old claims to reanalyze the data and make new hits, often for new mineral resources that weren't what was being looked for originally. That is super interesting how AI is able to relook at deposits that were previously thought to not be economic and Sounds like we're going to need a whole lot of that kind of technology. There's this whole new opposite set of opportunities that are erupt, and it's making what might have been 25 years ago an expensive project or prospect into something now marketable. So you can read the entire story on northernminer.com, again by Henry Lazenby, and just a few headlines as we move on here. Peru's violent protests imperil 30% of its copper output. This is Bloomberg News. And it says an upsurge in the violent protests racking Peru is crimping copper output in the world's number two supplier with about 30% of its production at risk at a time of low global stocks and high prices. One copper mine is offline. And you do hear that. What was super interesting about the Freeport call is Indonesia is running beautifully. Uh, South America sounds like there's all sorts of issues, whether it's inflation, finding workers, and general political unrest like we see in Peru. And we have a quote from Magali Bardales, who heads a mining sector committee at the Association of Industry Group SNMPE. Quote, the situation of protests and the escalation of violence have affected the industry. We hope an understanding, a dialogue with authorities can be found to provide a swift solution. So it continues in Peru. And we have another quote from Bardales. And this is the quote, I haven't seen this level of violence, the coordinated nature of action, seeking to affect mining and energy during the time I've been working in the sector. So it sounds like energy and mining are being directly targeted here. The longer this goes on, kind of the more disconcerting, we might say, the story is. And finally, a couple of headlines here, Schultz visits South America in race with China for lithium, and they're 
comes German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who is hoping, and this is Bloomberg News via Mining.com, who is hoping his trip to Latin America this weekend will help Germany secure additional supplies of the lithium that car giants like Mercedes-Benz and Volkswagen need for their electric vehicle batteries. So scrolling down a bit, the German government will aim to make an offer to Chile that is more appealing than the arrangement they have with the Chinese, said one of the people. So you wonder how much, like they kind of did this with Nat Gas, didn't they? Where all of a sudden, you know, Germany was cut off from Russian natural gas. So then they went around the globe basically willing to outpay everybody. I could see that working in the short term, but how much more can you afford to pay people for these raw materials? And we have a quote here also from Schultz, who directly referred to China as Germany's competitor in the global commodity market. Quote, there are states that think that all raw materials come from China, but this is not true. Many raw materials, in fact, come, for example, from Argentina or Chile, get shipped to China, are processed there, and then sold again. The question is, can one not move the processing of these materials, which creates thousands of jobs, to those countries where these materials come from? So Schultz is basically echoing what the Philippines has been saying, which is process your materials at home. And you wonder if Schultz is doing that for geopolitical reasons. Maybe we don't want to you know, be forced to buy our raw materials from China. We'd actually rather buy it from you, Chile. And by the way, you'll make a lot more money with a lot more jobs. A very interesting development. And finally, Chilean President Gabriel Boric said that he was determined to reorganize the lithium industry in his country. Quote, we want to create a national lithium company through various treaty mechanisms. Chile has the right and the duty to participate in this industry. So there you have it, folks. And then just a final headline here. Lithium's historic rally fuels record profits for China's miners. Tying the bow here for you. Bloomberg News via mining.com. China's big lithium miners are set to reap record earnings after booming demand for the EV battery material sent prices surging to an all-time high last year. Chen Chi Lithium forecasted preliminary net income for 2022 skyrocketed more than tenfold, while rival Ganfeng Lithium is predicting a surge of as much as 321%. So the rest of the world is taking note of China's booming lithium industry, and because probably a lot of that lithium is coming from outside of China. It's just being processed there. That is my, you know, rudimentary understanding here, folks. If you know otherwise, please leave a comment. Those are your news stories. Now, let's take a look at metal prices. And turning to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on January 31st, the last day of the month, gold is trading at $1,901.97 per ounce. That is $36 lower than last week. Silver is trading at $23.06 per ounce. That is $0.59 cents lower than last week. And platinum is trading at $994.77 per ounce. That is $58 lower 
than last week, and palladium is trading at $1,604.56 per ounce. That is $110 lower than last week. So palladium has really come down here. And I remember talking to Jeffrey Christian in an interview, and he was basically suggesting, you know, that, or I was suggesting, and he was mildly agreeing that platinum and palladium are basically inversely correlated to lithium. So we were just hearing how lithium has gone gangbusters, and here we see palladium going down. In a sense, lithium you might see as the EV trade, whereas platinum and palladium might be considered closer to the traditional auto trade. So just interesting context for what it's worth here. Turning to our industrial metals, copper is $0.05 cents higher at $4.24 per pound. Aluminum is a penny higher at $1.18 per pound. Lead is $0.03 cents higher at $1 even per pound. Nickel is $0.18 cents higher at $13.18 per pound. Tin is $1.26 higher at $14.54 per pound, looking very buoyant there. Cobalt is unchanged at $21.92 per pound, and zinc is also higher at $1.59 per pound. That is three cents higher than last week. Very interesting. Precious metals down, industrial metals up. With tin, perhaps the big standout there, but everything looking fairly good considering the pullback we had yesterday in the stock market. And those are your metal prices. And coming up in this week's doubleheader, first we're going to start with introductory comments from Richard Atkerson, Freeport McMoran Chief Executive Officer, from last week's conference call, where he gives the update on how copper is a crucial part of their business. And again, the real takeaway for me was how well things were going in Indonesia and how, you know, how much friction there seemed to be in Latin America. So very interesting, short but sweet remarks, and then we'll turn over to Mark Brisson. Thank you all for joining us today. It was a strong fourth quarter. The numbers speak for themselves. It reflects the performance of our global team. And I much appreciate everybody's hard work. I read one of you said this morning in a report, mining is a tough business, and it certainly is. Nobody knows that, I think, better than me. But what we've done and is reflected in our results for, for, for 2022 and particularly the fourth quarter is remarkable. Most of you who know our business, and maybe all of you do, you recognize the need to look at Freeport into two major segments. Our operations in Indonesia by PT Freeport Indonesia is characterized by very large volumes, very low cost because of the grades and the gold content. Largest gold mine in the world is a byproduct. And as you'll see in the fourth quarter, it operated as the world's second largest copper mine with a net unit cost of six cents a pound. Our business in America is quite different. We have among the largest mines in the world, the mines have low grade. There's much more material to be processed, to be mined and processed to recover the copper. And it's an operation that gets challenged by low copper prices and factors like inflation. But when you look at the results and what our team done, has done this year, it's been very positive. It's also characterized 
by having some large future brownfield expansion opportunities, which is particularly meaningful given the situation of the copper in the world. Indonesia, it was just rock solid performance. Um, we've been operating underground there for 40 plus years now. We've been investing in the current underground operations that we have been ramping up over the past three years to become the largest underground mining operations in the world for the past 25 years. It just reflects the long-term nature of our business. The last three years have really been notable. We completed mining the Grassberg open pit, which had been the bulk of our operations since uh, the discovery of the ore body in uh, the late 1980s. We completed mining that pit at the end of 2019. Then early in 2020, we faced COVID. And for years, this transition was viewed as a risk overlying Freeport's business. And it's just a major accomplishment that we've reached our targeted mining and metal production targets. That is what's arguably the most complicated mine in the world. And it's all results of the hard work and accomplishments of our team there. Very proud of them. The America's business has done very well in meeting the challenges that we've had there, dealing with inflation, you know, dealing with a period of low copper prices. We have issues that are challenged in terms of getting workers for our operation in the Americas. Um, our operation in Peru was facing a severe challenge with COVID that they managed very well. The political situation in Peru right now is very complicated. There are protests throughout the country. Our team is doing very well. We're continuing to manage housing, feeding our people, and continuing our operations. We are uh, slowing down a bit to make sure we have supplies for the long run. But we have support by our workforce and fundamental support for our business by the local community there because we've established such a uh, great relationship with them. So as we look out now, trying to predict short-term copper prices is very difficult. We actually don't even try to do it ourselves. We deal with uh, short-term negative movements when they occur by having a strong balance sheet and a con conservative financial policy. It's actually good to see right now that market sentiment going into 2024 is much improved going into the fourth quarter. But, you know, we are on the outlook for the well-known risk that the world faces today. And we're prepared to deal with it. We are a long-term business. Everything we do is focused not on the short run other than to protect ourselves by having the strong balance sheet, managing our business in the right way. But our success is going to be measured over the long run. And copper's long run outlook is increasingly positive based on fundamentals of, of, of demand and supply. We committed to copper 20 years ago when we were a single asset company. The rationale for acquiring Phelps Dodge more than 15 years ago is being reinforced today by the combination of this really special mine we have in Indonesia and the global operations and growing operations that we have in the Americas. It was the right decision 20 years ago to focus on copper, and it's the right decision now. And next in our doubleheader here, we have Barrett Gold CEO Mark Bristow at the Future Minerals Forum in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. He is interviewed by the Northern Miners Colin McClellan at the conference, so it must have been a very interesting trip for Colin. And again, we see the strategic role that copper is playing in this company. And 
the need to to avoid, as Mark Bristow calls it, short-termism in our strategies here as a mining industry. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. This morning you made some comments about countries that raise taxes on projects after they've been showing good promise, and it seems like, you know, perhaps uh, trying to kill the goose that's laying the golden egg, perhaps. Um, are you kind of signaling out Panama there, first quantum, or... Uh, no, I think it's a general, I mean, you know, I can add to that Australia, right. uh, you know, there are a, a myriad of companies that suddenly have looked uh, to to add uh, profit tax or take, and you know, they weren't there when the, during the, the downside um, when companies were struggling to survive. So, and I think the, the Saudi minister made a very good point. And so, so my point is, and, and this forum, this Future Minerals Forum, is really a, a fantastic forum to discuss these issues because it is about the future. And I think it's, uh, and, and these conversations, and it's fantastic to get on a, on a platform with a minister uh, from an emerging market that understands the importance of attracting long-term capital into his economy. And I think everyone can learn from that. And, and uh, by the way, it's a two, two-way game. The, the mining industry it's, it has also got to understand it's a long-term game. We must be careful about short-termism. Right. So I mean, looking again towards the future, uh, what's your outlook on the gold price? It's pretty strong. Uh, here yeah, yeah, gold did better than I think anyone expected to do in 2022. And of course, the equities didn't do as well. Um, and I think we're in, headed into some rough times uh, on, on a global economic level. And, and so gold and, and you hire more and more, it's an important uh, uh, asset. And, and gold's done well uh, against all asset classes where you measure from the turn of the century or the last 60 years or the 70 years. And so, and I think uh, again, with, uh, with the uh, collapse of uh, Bitcoins or cryptocurrencies, and um, and the and the sort of looming economic uncertainty. Uh, gold is a good bet. It you should always have gold as a, a part of your investment portfolio. Anyway, and I just want to end off with one more question about the surge in battery metals and how you're interested in copper production there. Would you want to pivot into more percentage-wise of copper production to take advantage? that uh, interest so so Colin you know when we did the barrack brand gold merger we were very clear well, I was very clear that we want to grow the copper part of uh, of barrack we've done a lot of that and really looking forward now to quality will drive the mix why did we focus on copper because I firmly believe that we're missing the point about this transition we should st- have a first focus on greening the grid and then we can go on and do everything else because uh, otherwise we're going to forever have you know, EVs powered by you know uh, car- uh, hydrocarbons or even coal so so and and for me copper is is as strategic as gold is precious they come together geologically. Um, you know, it's a great combination. 
and there's no mining company which has that focus. Is there anything else you wanted to add today? Yeah, I think I would like to add one other thing, and that is, you know, we can we always talk about mining and everything we've just covered, but it's about people, really. Right. And uh, you know, again, everyone's focused on emissions and carbon reduction, etc. But what about the poor people in this world? And I think you heard this today, the conversation landed at a point where we, mining is essential to the, the future of this planet for multiple reasons. Of course, uh, the transition, the cleaner energy transition, but more importantly, I would suggest is the continued development of the underdeveloped countries or undeveloped countries. And, and we have a responsibility, and with that, we also come with uplifting people, improving education, because we're rapidly moving to a point where the developed world is aging really quickly, and the young people in those uh, countries have the wrong education uh, to support that aging population. And the, the undeveloped countries like Saudi Arabia or the or the emerging markets, they have a lot of young people, and um, and in in many cases like in Africa, they 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 the investability is not what it should be right. to really develop those populations. That's where the energy lies, and we need to do that. We need to add more infrastructure as a as a world uh, community. We owe it to investing in those undeveloped regions. And I think this morning you said the world needs more geologists. Absolutely, because if you think about everyone and what they're saying about how much metal we need for the future, well, we don't have it in the mines we've got today, so we have to go and find it. Thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you. And there you have it, the Copper and Gold doubleheader featuring Richard Adkerson from Freeport McMoran, where he is CEO, and Barrett Gold's Mark Bristow, Chief Executive Officer and President. I hope you enjoyed that uh, with the window into their long-term strategic vision and really the importance of copper in their long-term strategy. So with that, if you want to sign up for the Global Mining Symposium, simply go to events.northernminer.com. And we have lots of fascinating content in the pipeline. If you want to help out the podcast, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.